Ever wonder the true power of sports? Well, you come to the right place. Welcome to the Sports for Social Impact podcast. I'm David Thibodeau, and I believe that by exploring the intersection between sport and society, we can better leverage the sport industry for maximum impact. We explore what sports true power is to understand the impacts on and the impacts of sports on society. Join me as we learn how sports can influence important policy areas such as the environment, transportation, education, and so much more. Now I have some very exciting news to share about the Sports for Social Impact podcast. We have been shortlisted for a 2023 Sport Podcast Award in the Best of Quality and Social Impact podcast. Now, I really love doing this podcast, and I just wanted to send a a big thank you to everybody who's been listening and following along over the last two and a half years. It would mean so much to me if you went and voted for the podcast. The link is in the show notes, and you can also find it on our Twitter and our Instagram pages. Voting is open until April 6th, which is the International Day of Sport for Development and Peace. So I think that's really incredible that that's the day that the voting ends. But um, yeah, thank you so much for the support, and please, please go vote. My guest today is Matt Dell. He's a Victoria City Councillor from British Columbia, a bike advocate, a community builder, and a climate activist. He has a master's degree in political science from the University of Victoria with a specialization in BC politics and small-scale agriculture. He's worked for the last 10 years with the BC government in various roles. He's also very involved in his community, working with the Neighborhood Association and, and uh, you know, supporting his community in various various ways. Now, I wanted Matt on the podcast because um, before I moved to Calgary this past fall, I was, I was thinking about moving to Victoria. So I was starting you know, to follow local issues. And they, you know, as Matt mentions in the episode, they also had elections this past fall uh, where, where he was first elected. So I started, you know, following local issues, following local politicians, you know, getting involved, uh, you know, getting more up to date with some of the some of the things go- going on, and I saw that he was running for office, uh, for for city councilor, and I really liked some of the, you know some of his ideas. Uh, you know, he was an advocate for fifteen minute cities. You know, he wanted to you know um, you know make Victoria unique. Uh, made up of unique, complete, walkable villages where citizens have most services in their in their own neighborhoods. Um, he's inspired by smart, sustainable urban design that aims to build 15-minute communities where everything that they need is with, you know, just that within 15 minutes. Um, he also talked a lot about, um, you know, talking, uh, you know, building a world-class pool and recreation center to replace, you know, the, the Crystal Pool in Victoria. Um, so I, I yeah, I just thought he would be. I thought I just thought he would be really great to have on the podcast to talk about these things. Um, you know, he he talked about it a lot during the election, and I think he does um, a really you know, brings up a lot of interesting points that I had never considered and um, about our recreational facilities and stuff in this conversation. So I hope you all enjoyed the conversation. But before that, the news. So the news for this episode is that I bought a new pair of Adidas shoes. Now that in itself is not news. Um, <laughs> I But what came in the box with those shoes is what this news is about. So on the side, there was some you know, messaging about uh, innovation and sustainability for Adidas uh, and, and their products. 
So on the sole of one of the shoes, there's a QR code and I could scan it and it took, took me to the Adidas page on sustainability. So um, I'm just going to read from the website. So we see the possibilities to make what's best for the athlete better for the planet. So we're creating products with recycled materials, making products be remade and developing products with made with nature. We want the world to see the possibilities and take action to help end plastic waste. So we will always have places to play. So innovation is their solution. So by 2024, they want to replace virgin polyester with, with recycled polyester wherever possible. And by 2025, nine out of 10 of their articles that will contain a sustainable material. Um, so that you know doesn't really see, or doesn't really say how they're gonna do that. And uh, you know, even if, it, even if nine out of 10 of the articles contain a sustainable material, it doesn't mean that the whole product is made of sustainable materials. Um, but anyways, I thought it was super interesting and it even goes down, you can even like go specifically to the type of, to the, uh, specific model of shoe that you bought. And so the shoe that I bought, it says online, it says that this model, so it's model number two of this certain name, it's made with 10% less carbon emissions than the previous model. Uh, it doesn't really say how that happened. Um, I think it's really interesting. Um, I think they could, could you know, talk a little bit more about how that actually, where that 10% came from. Um, but I think it's, I think it's super interesting that they're doing this sort of work in this space. Um, and, you know, we, we need more innovation and more, um, you know, solutions like this in our sport equipment. You know, if we can, if I could take this pair of shoes back to the, to the Adidas store, uh, store and they could, you know, recycle it and turn it into a new product, I think that would be absolutely incredible. Uh, to make it a, you know, a, a circular economy. So, you know, still work to do, you know, there is work happening in the space. So I think, you know, we need to keep it up. Welcome today to my guest, Matt Dell, who is the uh, city councillor from Victoria on Canada's West Coast. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. Um, first off, uh, you know, just introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah. Hey, David, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Matt Dell. I'm located in Victoria, British Columbia, which is on Vancouver Island, the West Coast of Canada. Um, I've been a long time advocate for arts and culture and sports and recreation. Um, and I finally got elected to Victoria City Council in October 2022. So I've been a city councillor for about five months. So that's completely flipped my ability to, uh, you know, work on projects and think about how cities are designed. Um, I'm also a, a dad of young kids. My kids are six and 10 years old. So I'm really kind of thinking about um, sports and, and culture in terms of, you know, kids and grandparents. So happy to chat about what I've seen and, and how we could do better. Absolutely. And I, I think that you know, there's, there's lots of discussed in just those kind of aspects as well. Um, so, you know, when I first reached out to you about, you know, in an email and, you know, when we were first chatting before this, when I talk about sport policy, like what first comes to your mind? Like, what do you first imagine as, you know, sport policy in Canada? I mean, sport policy in Canada and my version of sport policy are perhaps a little bit different. Um, my version of sport policy is getting, getting people as, outdoor and engaged as often as, as frequently as possible, like daily uh, on a regular basis. And I think overall we have kind of failed at that in Canada. Um, I would say we are overly focused on organized 
um, high performance sports. We're all about kind of funneling people into the channels that are going to accelerate their growth and development. And we've largely neglected to focus on just the fun of sports and, and community organization. Um, so that's kind of where my worldview differs a little bit. And I've seen how the, the current system definitely works for some folks who are trying to get to that next level, but in the same way, kind of kicks out a bunch of people who just want to have sports as more of a fun community engagement process. Um, I mean, I, I'm arguably a symptom of that. I played soccer, you know, eventually it kind of got too hard. There's too much pressure. And I never played again. And no one ever along the line said, Hey, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. You can just play, play for fun. It doesn't have to be super competitive all the time. So that's sort of my focus is, is community sports, uh, de-organizing sports, and I think we have a long way to go on that in Canada. I'm already seeing that with my kids right now who kind of want to drop out of some of their sports because the pressure is becoming a bit too high. And I just question that um, assumption that sports always has to be high pressure. No, I absolutely agree with that. And and I think that you really hit the nail on the head that, um, you know, what, what this conversation I really want to get into, you know, changing the conversation a little bit more in Canada and from that high performance focus, you know, it's, it's very focused on high performance in Canada and, and you know, democratize it and bring it down to the everyday level, the grassroots level. You know, make it accessible to everybody in our communities. And um, and you, know, I guess, like reimagining what sport is. I think you know, active transport yeah, is yeah. is a sport. You know that you know. I know Victoria is a leader in 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 active transport in, in Canada. Um, and that that's yeah. a way of people getting out. Yeah, sorry. I was just gonna say, have you ever spoke to anyone on your podcast about deorganizing sports? Have you looked into that at all? Not, I haven't had that kind of conversation yet. I think that that would be a really good, inter- interesting conversation to have. Um, we have had yeah, conversations so it's like, about. Oh. We focus on organized sport. You know, you sign your kid up, you register, you join sports. And um, I guess there's a movement called de-organized sports, which is about actually like creating impromptu sports on school fields. Like, you know, every Saturday is just drop in soccer for any age. Like you don't have to sign up ahead of time. Or just getting getting back to that spot of where kids naturally went out to a school field or baseball and played like pickup baseball. I mean, that really almost never happens anymore. Like drop in, pick up baseball. That would have been very common. And so the deorganized sports movement is pushing that. And it's probably an interesting thing to maybe have a more of an expert on your podcast at one at one point. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I'll I'll take a note of that. Um, so deorganized sports. Yeah. So I guess that kind of lead does lead into the next question I have a bit for you. So. What do you think the role is of a municipality of a city is in sport policy? So you know, in this in this broader sense of sport policy, right? Not not the Canada specific one, but like what we've been talking about, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. you organize sports, active transport, you know, making sport accessible. Like how how do you see the role of a municipality fitting it fitting into in, fitting into that? Yeah, I, I would say municipalities have a huge role to play. Like, well, that's, that is one of the things that they're responsible for is parks and recreation. You know, our federal government's responsible for the military and, and foreign affairs. Provincial government in Canada is responsible for health care and education. And local governments, one of the things they do is land use, policing, but parks and recreation. Um, so, you know, that that starts from just making sure there's fantastic fields. And in Victoria, you know, do we have all weather fields that you can play all year long on? Uh, Calgary how many ice rinks are there how are they accessible like do we need more of them are people using them so just providing the basics like that is important and then back to deorganized sports like the city also funds and helps run community centers and in a lot of ways community centers are the ones that kind of do some of that deorganized sports organizing like you know a community center that does drop in floor hockey from 5 till 6 p.m every day so that kids can like go do something after school 
Um, you know, th there's so many po possibilities for, for recreation and community centers to help um, support community sports rather than some of the kind of not-for-profit or the organizations that support the more elite elite, elite um, athletics. So I'd like to see community centers getting a bit more involved in deorganized sports saying, you know, my local community center has drop-in soccer every Saturday from 8 till 10 a.m. And maybe that parent who is going to sign their kid up for more elite sports goes, hey, do you want to just do the community center one? And maybe there's a coordinator out there and maybe the kids are not all the same age. Maybe there's some five-year-olds and some eight-year-olds and everyone's kind of playing together. So I, I'd like to see, or like a, a parent versus kids drop in soccer. That's something a community center could help organize to be the facilitator of deorganizing sports. Because deorganized de sports doesn't mean there's no organization. It just means it's facilitated in a different way. Um, and, and we just don't think outside those boxes. I'll give you an example. My son plays, he's kind of in a soccer organization. They're pretty competitive. And we had a game the other day for our last game of the year. It's parents versus kids. And it's like the Actually, everyone had way more fun at that game than any other game in the whole season. It's like, why don't we just do this more often? Why don't we just have more like parents versus kids games? Because parents kind of love like, you know, competing against their kids and kids love trying to beat their parents. But that's just one style of games that we don't play. Like you could have a community center that's like kids versus seniors soccer and you get a bunch of six year old guys out and everyone kind of comes together and builds community. So um massive role i think we talked a little bit about rec centers as well like in terms of pools and that kind of stuff we're going to be facing this in victoria do we build an elite training pool you know for competitive swimmers or do we build a community pool that just provides great recreation for for kids with like you know water slides and, and wave pools and rivers and standing waves and that's a political decision is what's more important the competitive stuff or the community stuff and um or can you can you really work to find a balance of both of those? And so I do think local governments are really important. And traditionally, they've been underrepresented by parents and sports groups. So, or or, or athletic um, advocates. So perhaps that's sometimes why cities struggle with their with their facilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was gonna. Um, that kind of does lead into two questions that I did want to get to. But I guess like what kind of what kind of sport or what kind of support do you expect from provincial and federal governments with, you know, facilities um, in terms of being able to meet your objectives and meet your, um, you know, meet, you know, the parks and recreation goals of a city? Provincial government often provides money um, and that, that money comes through different channels. It often kind of pops up in the form of grants and whatnot. And in British Columbia, for example, we just had uh, the BC government had a $5 billion um, surplus. And what they just did, honestly, about a month ago is that they gave every single municipality in BC um, between 500000 and like $50 million. So Victoria got $13 million and it was specifically for parks and recreation and community amenities. So that was like the gold standard. But often what they'll do is they'll have a fund called the like community amenity fund and, and municipalities will apply to it to get funding. And the federal government sometimes has programs like that, but it's, it's always changing and, and based on external factors. But I mean, absolutely the, the feds in the province would be, it's money well spent if they go to a municipality, whether it be one like Calgary or a small town or Victoria and go, Hey, you're missing out on a proper facility at like X, Y, Z, whatever it is. How about we help partner with you? And those kind of partnerships are are so important. And I think we haven't done a great job at that sometimes across Canada. And that's why our, our, our parks and rec here is okay, but it's definitely not up to the standard of as it is in some other countries. 
Like, you know, Victoria's Rec Center is 50 years old. It's, it's almost obsolete. It's it's kind of too bad that no one's come to us to go, hey, like, can we work with you rather than the other way around? But I think we overlook it a, a lot. Like, you know, there's so many prior, uh, so many benefits for our mental health and our health. And I'll, I'll use the example of like a kid who maybe has lives in an abusive household, has challenges, has screen time addiction issues, doesn't have friends. Like, you need to have a great recreation center where that person feels fully comfortable going all the time. Um, just to provide, you know, mental health, perhaps that keeps that kid out of the street or out of jail system later. So, uh, it's frustrating to me that we haven't done a better job with this. Mm -hmm. No. And just on your point in, in terms of like the facilities, um, and their age, we, we have a aging, uh, infrastructure in this country. You know, I, the pool that I swam in in New Brunswick was built in like 1942 right. and they've been talking about, you know, building a new pool in, or, you know, it was in Fredericton. Maybe they've been talking about a new pool for 10 years and they're still, they haven't been able to make a decision and they're still using that pool from 1942. And it's, you know, literally falling apart. Like it is like things are falling off the ceiling. Um, and it's just like, it, yeah. So definitely need more, I guess, like partnerships because, you know, the, the municipality can't build a, you know, a, a pool on their own as I think would cost, way too much. So they do need that partnership between minister or uh, provincial and federal government as well. Um, yeah, that's right. So what often happens is, is municipalities borrow the money. They take a, they do a referendum to borrow money. So Victoria, for example, we're hoping to borrow a hundred million dollars and then we will pay that off over time. But yeah, it's obviously a lot of money and it impacts other things. So um, yeah, it, it's a challenge. I mean, almost you kind of need, uh, I love a more active provincial and federal government, but you could have a federal government that had a oversight of every municipality to go, how old, how, how big is the town? How many rec centers do they have? What year are they from? And you kind of give them all a rating and those ones that are in the bottom, like the red tier go like, okay, those ones, like, let's just contact them. Let's work with them and let's build them a, a fantastic recreation center mm -hmm. with, um, and, and design better. Like, you know, humans are not that in a way we're not that diverse we need the same needs we need a pool we need a hot tub a cold plunge we need space for gathering you know some rec centers like in, in oak bay the one here has a great has, has a pub and a coffee shop that overlooks the pool and that's really important because that that gives parents some incentive to go to take their kid to the pool they go hey i'll take the kids i'll drop you guys off i can watch you and i can have a beer with my friends like that family is going to go out more than the family um, that has a rec center that doesn't offer that kind of thing so there's some template ideas that all of these facilities should have and, and, and experts know how to design them. So again, it's just one of those things we haven't done a good enough job at. Yeah. It's a really interesting point that you bring up about, you know, obviously people talk about sport as being a place for people to gather. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's true, but then there's this, you know, having, you know, I guess like age specific, almost uh, gathering spots at the community pool, you know, at the community sports center as well. So, you know, your kids can go play while the pa parents or your supervisors can go keep, still yeah. keep their eye on it, but do something else. But I think that's a really interesting point. Yeah. Um, and a big one is like, where do teens go? How do teens, they're kind of that forgotten generation and almost all of our public infrastructure generally kind of forgets teenagers. And, um, you know, what do they like to do in a public pool? You know, they might be a bit more uncomfortable with their bodies at that age or, um, they don't want to hang out with toddlers, but or or little kids. So can can we design spaces specifically for teens? And you know, sometimes in some new pools, it's like they have two hot tubs. That's a big new thing because one hot tub is for like kids and their families, 
crawling all over each other. And then one is a bit more of like a chill hot tub where, yeah, like maybe teens can kind of have a bit of space by themselves without toddlers climbing on them. Um, or maybe it has a little teen zone or I don't know if that's a cool thing to call it, but <laughs> you know, something like that, whatever it is that allows them to kind of interact with one another or allows again, the parents to drop off the teenager, but kind of be around at the same time. So um, our, our, our city parks are really bad. Like I'll give you an example. That's a city park by my house and city parks are generally designed for toddlers. Um, they have playgrounds that are kind of designed for kids to crawl on. And my son, I didn't realize this, but once he turned about eight years old, he's like, I don't want to go to the park anymore. It's like, Oh, why not? He's like, it's boring. Like I was not into like crawling on bars anymore. Like he was kind <laughs> of, you know, developing and wanted more interesting stuff. And it's like, Oh yeah, wait, we just failed to de- design parks for kids like eight, sorry eight years old to 18 years old like we just forgot about that and he's like you know where's like the scooter pump track or where's like a different style of playground where i kind of relax with my friends and not have to climb on bars it's like oh sorry dude we just kind of forgot about that we don't really care about your your age generation um and then you know that's probably because they don't have much of a voice in the political system. You know, seniors tend to have a more voice. They, they want their pickleball and tennis courts and whatnot, but we, f- we forget a lot of people in our design for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. We need, yeah. Better design for, I guess like human centric design, right? Like we, we, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's true. You know, the way we design our cities is not very, it's not very conducive with humans sometimes. Like it's, it, we almost design physical activity out of our day-to-day lives. Right. Like I was just talking with my friend the other day. Yeah. It's like, right we don't take the stairs anymore. We take the elevator. We don't even yeah. open doors for ourselves anymore. We, they're automatic doors, right? Like yeah. we're, we're designing activity right out of our day entirely. Um, yeah. And it should be the opposite way where it's like you get sucked into the activity instead. Like you just can't help but going out to play soccer and, and whatnot. And there's, there's definitely ways to do that. I mean, you, you probably pick up on those in your own life. You're like, Hey, wait a second. Why do I really gravitate towards this coffee shop? Mm-hmm. Or why do I really like this rec center or this sports field or basketball court? And, you know, what is it that lures you in? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not not rocket science. And same thing, like you said, with active transportation. It's like a great bike path makes you want to just go out and do it more often. Or, or safe bike lanes makes you want to bike more often. Um, and so I think we, we are improving. We've kind of realized this, but just it's just going to take some catch up. And um, like back to the rec center. It's like when you're designing a rec center, I'd love for the city staff to like go to middle schools and be like, okay, every middle school kid has to tell us what they think. Like we never do that kind of stuff. We, <laughs> we allow adults to come out and generally the small, the same small group, but we really never listen to, to kids at all. Um, and it's mm-hmm. just, just, just too bad. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. How we engage citizens. And, and, and I find that, you know, whenever there's, um, you know, a public hearing or something is often during the day when people, when all the people are at work or at school and, you know, who has the time to go to these hearings? Seniors who are retired. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously they are, you know, are, they are members of society as well and they should also have their opinions heard, but there's a lot, lots of people who are not being heard uh, just because of the way that we, you know, we, when we host our public hearings, when we, when we, when we talk about these things that, as city council, you know, city council meetings often happen during the day as well. So uh, yeah, how we engage people is really, is really important topic as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so just like, I think going back to when, when you're talking about the cost of these facilities, I, I just wonder if there has ever been in, I don't know if you, you would know this, but in Canada, I don't know if there's ever been like an analysis on the money that we spend on sport and recreation to offset like healthcare costs. Like, I, I don't know if, 
like, you know, a hundred million dollars you're saying to borrow to, you know, to build recreation facilities in Victoria. Like, I wonder how many, I wonder how much money that would save in healthcare costs down the road. Like, I, I think that would be really interesting. interesting yeah. to look at. It would probably be impossible to, to quantify, obviously, like, you know, a 10 year old that goes to the rec center, like 50 years later, does that stop him getting cancer? Who knows? But, um, I think it's pretty obvious that it does. I, I have actually have a funny example. Um, I helped a guy that was living on the streets. Kind of, he was actually my age or our age. He was addicted uh, to opioids, really on death's door. Uh, we helped him get into rehab, in, into a how into a hotel room housing. So he, he was he was in recovery. And what's the number one thing he wanted to do? He wanted to go to the rec center to go to the gym. Like that's just what he needed to like get himself. Just give them some focus every day. And, and you, you know, with private gyms, they're incredibly expensive, right? Like some of them are $100, $200 a month. Drop in fees can be 20 or 30 bucks. Um, and so, look, that's a great example of where Rec Center can be helping actually like get some people off of our street or help with even addiction and mental health. So a lot of those folks generally just need like to get out of the house, get their body feeling good, maybe sit in the sauna or the hot tub. Um, and, and our rec center in Victoria is, is atrocious and actually ha- it never had any gym facilities built in. So all the gym stuff is put like on a walkway around the pool. So you're kind of like working out in the pool sweat. It's just, it's not a great <laughs> feeling. And I always kind of thought like, I wonder like, you know, this is just hurting people by not being able to come here, hurting their mental health and their ability to recover. And, and as you said, healthcare, like absolutely. And um, hence why, you know, a proper pool design where kids always want to go and parents like parents don't really love going in the water with their kids all the time. I can tell you that as a parent. And so, you know, is there ability for the parents to like sit on the side again and have a coffee while their kids go? Like I would take my kids to the pool four days a week if there was a, you know, a better facility that had a bit of a chill out area for, for me to sit in or work in. Right. And, um, you know, then you buy an annual pass, which are generally quite affordable. And it's like, you're not even paying for it. You already paid for it once. So you like, might as well go. And the kids are building community. They're engaging with their friends. Maybe the adults are like creating new community going, you know, who's your kid? Who's your kid? Oh yeah. They seem to get along. And, um, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. like, it's not that complicated of a, of a, of a, of a thing to, to build. Right. Um, it's a co-working spots up there. You can maybe rent a computer or rent internet. I don't know whatever it may be. So uh, how that, how it all happens in practice is going to be interesting. And that's kind of what I'm seeing at city council right now um, is, is trying to balance those competing needs. Like for example, right now where we want to build our new rec center, one of the challenges was there were some trees on the site and people really want to preserve the trees. And what that meant is that the footprint of the building had to be smaller, which actually meant you lose some of the community amenities we just talked about. So it's a question. It's like, what's more important to you? Um, saving, you know, 10 trees, but not having the community amenities that make it a great pool or, or, or vice versa. The challenging, challenging conversations. Yeah, no, definitely. So I guess, um, I, I don't know if this issue specifically is, is occurring in Victoria, but I know a lot of cities across Canada are, are specifically um, grappling with this, um, that there's, like a lack of spaces for kids for recreational opportunities. I want to say in more or not not organized sports, but like swimming lessons, right? Just like uh, you know, soccer lessons, like skating lessons, like things like that. I know that that right now facilities are it are you know maxed out in what they can what they can accommodate for like those those, those you know sometimes life saving skills like swim like swimming, right? Um, is that is that just a facility 
problem? Like, we we need more facilities, or do you have do you have any insights on how? If, um, if- I mean, one of my frustrations with 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 pools in particular is like I always tell the pool should be open at all times to anybody. You at least have a small section, so you could go to the pool right now, and you could guarantee you can go at least chill in the hot tub and have a little space to chill out because you might not want to follow the okay, I can go from five till six, but six, it closes, blah, blah, blah. So, and that's a design option. Again, if you have two hot tubs and a steam room, you could always say, Hey, this, that stuff is always open. You can always come down for that. And then like some new pools is, yeah, they have like two tanks. They have a big tank for the swimming lessons, but they always have one that's open for the public just to do that kind of stuff. So I think it's just, yeah, designing bigger pools, making the space more flexible uh, is important. <sighs> Yeah, that's a tough question to answer on on how we can do that, um, how we can allow for more space. I think sometimes we need to be a bit more flexible. Like if it's lane swimming and it's like no kids, it's like, well, can we just have like one lane open? Just one out of eight lanes. Just keep one open and be like, okay, kids, guess what? You only get one lane, but like, that's fine. Like kids for the last 10,000 years have lived through like (laughs) insufferable amount of challenges. Like having one lane open for an hour and the hot tub is probably fine. Cause that might be the only time that that like single mom can take her kid to the pool and she can't wait till like eight 30 at night. So I think it's about rec centers just becoming more flexible and, and having a mandate of like this pool never closes. It opens at 6am and it closes at midnight and you'll always, there'll always be space for you no matter what it is. And I know when I have my kids, like they would wake up at six in the morning when they'd be little and I'd be like, cool, I'm going to go to the rec center at like seven 30 AM. Ready, I'm ready to go. And I check the schedule and they'd be like, oh, like pool, it opens at 11. It's like, I've already been up at like five hours at that point. And like my kid actually goes for a nap at 11. Like, why can't I just come and like maybe have two toddler pools or have a, a space? Like, we don't, we never needed that much space. We just needed like an excuse to get out. So design and flexibility around programming, I think it would be really, really important. All right. Yeah. So it, yeah. Innovating in and around facility space, I think, yeah. Really, yeah, really mm-hmm. interesting and really important. Yeah, 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 and, exa- and exactly. It's like maybe you go to the pool for a little bit, and again, if there's a little coffee shop in there that has some like kid toys in it, like it just gives you that time to kind of mm-hmm. maybe build community, meet someone, see a friend, or at least just get out of the house. Like I, I know with young parents, most people don't know this or you forget it, but like just struggling to get through your day was a real challenge. Like to fill it with meaningful activities that didn't involve like sitting on the floor with a toddler for. 14 hours straight. <laughs> okay, well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, so if you if you had to give me three, your top three priorities for you as a city councilor to increase, to increase access to sport in your city, what would your three top priorities be? Um, number one would be more artificial turf fields um, so that sports can be played all year round. Uh, without the challenges that come with mud and rain. That's a big thing in Victoria. <clears throat> uh, number two would be a new rec center, which we're building in Victoria, designed specifically around building community and community amenities, not a high-performance facility. That just could bring uh, have so many benefits to, to bringing people together. Uh, and number three, I would say um, more... Uh, amenities for for older kids and teenagers particularly around scooter and skate parks and 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 new styles of playground that get that age group out to the play out to our parks and playgrounds um 
and you know like skateboard parks are traditionally great but like sometimes what happens is they get taken over by like tony hawk kind of skateboarders and the little kids are like i just want to ride my scooter yeah like they kind of get pushed out so i think there's a huge opportunity for like new kind of small scale skateboard and, and scooter parks for for younger kids and teenagers and, and i know that they just love doing that kind of stuff and um those would be my top three wish lists Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I hope all those things happen for you and for the city of Victoria. Um, I guess I did have, I guess I do always end up with one other question, but um, yeah. any last messages that you'd like to share with everybody listening? Um, I would just say, don't lose sight on, on building community. Building community is an active thing that you have to try to do. Um, our, our, the design of our cities does not make building community easy. Our cities are designed to actually kind of pull community apart and, and fo force individualism in, in many ways. And, and that takes an active um, approach to whether it be bike lanes or, or redesigning our parks or just organizing an event for your neighbors to come out to like a street fest or a barbecue. It's a really active process, but it's always worth it. And, and everyone will be appreciative for any effort you can do for building community. I'll give you a really quick example. My son plays soccer, a bunch of kids on his team. They didn't, they're from different schools. They didn't really know each other. They played all season. They never really were buddies by the end of the season. They kind of knew each other. And I had an end of the season party for them. And I was like, why don't you all bring over your video game devices and we'll have pizza and you guys can all play video games. And they were like, oh, it's amazing. They're all 10 years old. So they all came over last weekend. And like within two hours, these kids developed a tighter bond than I've ever seen before. It's like they were like best friends after two hours. And it's like, oh yeah, just getting people together, having a way for them to engage. Um, and you know, it's like, why didn't we do that at the beginning of the season? Or why don't we do that once a month? You guys get a video game night together. Just to like actually... Uh, you know forge new bonds so something as, as simple as that with the youth sports team and the parents all came together for the first time which is a lot of a lot of the way the first time i actually talked to them so little things like that can go a, a huge huge long way awesome well thank you so much matt that was that was really great awesome no problem david thanks for having me on the podcast and um thanks for doing this and best of luck with your future episodes yeah thank you Thank you once again to Matt for coming on the podcast to talk about uh, sport, sport policy at a local level and sort of how that fits into a reimagined Canada's sport policy. Um, now, my key takeaway from this episode, I guess, is really rethinking what we you know, do at our recreational and sport facilities, you know, in terms of time management, in terms of amenities, um, uh, and how that fits into what an active city looks like. So, you know, obviously an active city is increased activity in everyone's daily life. Walking, biking, um, you know, opportunities uh, that, uh, you know, easy access to opportunities to participate in physical activity, whether deorganized sports, um, you know, having, having those spaces available in parks, in our you know lakes and rivers and, and our ponds and you know what have you and and how you know recreational facilities fit into an active city you know making sure that we are retrofitting you know these spaces that they can build community making sure that we can you know that we're retrofitting these spaces that uh, they are conducive to um you know all segments of society so they're open you know 
many hours in the day, they're more accessible, they're more safe, uh, they're more inclusive. Um, so I think, yeah, this was a really interesting conversation. And I think there was a lot of different things that you could take away from it. But um, yeah, so that that is it from me today. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk with you next time.